Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with my co-host Lewis. Say hello Lewis. Hi there. <laughs> Just enjoy that. Say hello Lewis. This is if I'd shirk them off on <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing very well. Doing very, very well. Right, here we are. First episode of 2019. First episode of the year. Everyone, you'll have to excuse me. I've come down with a cold today, so I will be a bit croaky and I will splutter a little bit along the way, but I'm sure we'll be okay. So today, we're going to go way back in time to the very dawn of the modern anime industry. So we're looking at a couple of Toei Doga's first films. So in 1948, two animators formed the Japan Animation Films Company. And in 1956, they were bought by Toei Company, who were a TV production company, and renamed them Toei Doga, which basically means animation, uh, to form an animation arm. And in 1958, they released their first film, Hakujarden, which was the first in many ways. Uh, it was the first uh, feature-length animated film since the war. It was the first animated film in colour. And it was the first Japanese film to be released in America. So quite an interesting time. Um, and it all the modern sort of anime industry kind of really sparked from there. Jonathan Clements uh, talks about this period in his very, very excellent book, Anime History. Uh, goes into all sorts of depth. Um, this point is actually about halfway through the book. So it builds up an, an awful lot from the very, very earliest animation right up to how beyond this and the animation boom the anime boom i should say happened in the through the 60s and 70s uh into the uh industry we have today one of toei doga's original sort of mission statements was they wanted to create an asian disney so there's a lot of talk today about studio ghibli being the japanese equivalent of disney but really you know 20 30 years before that um toei mm. doga were uh, were doing it so so we've sort of we've been here a, a little bit before so we uh, episode 9 we talked about Iso Takahata's film Little Norse Prince mm -hmm. or Horus Prince of the Sun to give it its proper name um so that was um a 1968 Toei film so it's a, a period you know that we've we've revisited before but this was sort of that was 10 years after so um we're going sort of a, a little bit earlier still Haku Jarden, or the White Serpent, to give it one of its names, or the uh, the Panda and the White Snake, to give it its American title, uh, was a 1958 film directed by Taiji Yabushita, produced by Toei Doga. It was officially released in the US on VHS and DVD as The Panda and the White Snake. The DVD, I think, is still available. Um, there, are, there are fan subs available. Right, brief synopsis, taken from Anime News Network. As a young boy, Xu Shang is forced to free his pet, a small snake, 
Unbeknownst to him, the snake is actually a young snake goddess named Bai Nyang, and she is in love with him. Many years later, when they are both adults, the princess is magically transformed into a human and sets out to find her love. But the local wizard believes her to be a vampire and banishes Zhu Sheng from the village in order to save him. Zhu Sheng's pet pandas, Panda and Mimi, set out to save him and bring him in the process, becoming the leaders of an animal gang. So, <laughs> so here we are, at the dawn of the anime industry, mm. or the modern anime industry. So, what, what did you think of uh, Hacker Jard and Lewis? I understand its significance, but to say that it has aged well, it would be uh, very generous <laughs> of me to say. I Obviously, like it's not something I'd, I'd naturally shift towards in my uh, entertainment consumption yeah. habits these days, simply because it really just lacks all of my modern-day expectations for things. Um, I found it a bit of a slog. It's very long. It's very long and whimsical. It almost felt like I was watching uh, Fantasia, but with a loose storyline based <laughs> in Chinese mythology rather yeah. than Japanese. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was an interesting slog, is what I'd call it. So it's interesting you say that because its running time is the standard 82 minutes of running time. But I, I, I know what you mean. It does feel. Oh, quite so long, long for that 82 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Um, as you say, it is based on a Chinese folklore. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's, it's oh. a very popular Chinese um, folktale. Um, it's been re- it'd been made even before Hacker Jordan started. It'd actually been made several times before in film, live action film form. Um, this was mm, one yeah. of the first animated Renditions. release of it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very Disney. Yeah. Toei were going after creating a Disney film. You know, they rotoscoped it. They used the same animation techniques as Disney did. Yeah, um, you can tell. And it does just feel like a Disney film. It flows very much like Snow White. Yes. Yeah, like uh, the, the the entire animation feel for the, the, yeah. the uh, animal companions and all yeah. the interactions of the characters, the way they moved, it all felt very Snow White. Yeah. Um, uh, and the, 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 it's, it's, it was nice to watch. It's very consumable because the facial features are very soft, not as like exposed and uh, exaggerated yeah. as modern anime is. It was very much like, uh, yeah, it did feel just like uh, Chinese mythology Snow White. Yeah, and I agree. <laughs> I, it really does feel like Snow White. I mean, it's got that look of, uh, you know, um, Cinderella and everything, but Snow mm. White, like, as you say, with the animals, you know, there's a real um, feeling of it. The other thing as well, because like a lot of animation back then in the sort of 50s, 60s, 70s used music as a form of narration, mm. you know, at times I felt like I was watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Because you've, you have all that exaggerated trumpet and trombone to emphasize mm. movements, you know, fast movements and slow movements and, you know, a sense of... Uh, sort of excitement or suspense or you know yeah. when they're sort of looking round something you know round a corner you get that sort of long trombone note or whatever so just like you would in the Tom and Jerry so it, it's very very even though it's Japanese it's very very much a product of Western animation yeah uh, Western consumption I understand that I think that's what's what really contributes to it feeling like a long slog 
is because the music musical parts that like you are meant to sort of reflect on the the animated scenes and you're watching action go on or you're watching these characters interact or the animals interact uh will occasionally be interrupted by a single line yeah of, uh, of context from from one either the panda or the little baby panda which sort of like lulls the, it takes you out of the music in the the scene and you're like oh okay i need to listen to what they're saying but then there'll be nothing that follows that um and then you go back to just listening to music again and then interrupted by another singular line um and it just for me it just felt like i was either tuning out or tuning in yeah uh, i never really hold my attention on it yeah i know what you mean so the other thing is that you know the story is a very straightforward three-act structure you know, it essentially yeah. is a straightforward love story. Indeed, yeah. You know, and it and it just plays out like that. I think there's some quite good scenes in it. I think I think it has a very good climax when Bai Nyang sort of goes to the Dragon Lord to give up her immortality and get the uh, flower that's going to save Zhu Zhang's life. Um, and then the whole sort of bit in the sea and the island with the catfish i thought that was a that was a great sequence yeah i was gonna i was gonna mention that myself actually that was my favorite sequence out of it all um was after she you know visits the dragon god and renounces um renounces her goddessness <laughs> if, you, if that's what you want to call it her, her godship um her godentry uh and just becomes a regular human woman um you know and that like so she's she's now like powerless to really you know make a difference in her journey across this ocean to her loved one yeah and then her the other spirits you know basically do everything they can to help uh help reach him yeah and i think that's a yeah it's a really good sequence because that's like uh i felt it all coming together nicely at that point um i think where it lost me was after uh after they ride the dragon yeah, um, the, the wooden dragon into the uh, Shogunate Temple, and they steal the the two gems. Like a lot of that felt fairly drawn out for me, mm. um, and it lost it. It lost its narrative a little bit in that sense, yeah. and then sort of went, "Oh, we're gonna use this opportunity on the download to sort of mess our two panda friends in with a <laughs> in with a roaming gang of thug, <laughs> of thug animals." And it's just like, and we basically just watch Panda get beaten the head off of himself, um, <laughs> but he's too thick to deal with it. So uh, he ends up beating everyone else and, and taking over this little gang. And then I just like, I, was, I sat back and I was like, I just watched gang warfare. Like, yeah, and, I know. Uh, <laughs> it's just very odd. Um, and they ended up really not doing anything. Yeah, like they they really don't do anything. No, and it's kind of that sort of kids appeasement bit you know yeah the cute animals fighting and doing silly because it's very comedic sort of fighting with the panda yeah. you know he gets pummeled into the ground and he yeah. still gets out and beats up the bigger one and then he beats up the bigger one after that you yeah. know and then it just know, keeps going keeps yeah. going yeah and they're like oh yeah we'll help you find your master and then they don't really do anything <laughs> they do nothing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they actually, well, to be fair, they do at the very end when they, like... But, I mean, as a greater collective, the animal uh, taking over that entire group of animals achieved yeah. nothing. <laughs> just, it was just a strong-arm move from Panda Guy who wanted his own little uh, little posse. So yeah. fair play to him. 
but again, uh, but... <laughs> like a Tom and Jerry cartoon, it's got all these yeah. animals fighting with the comedy, crazy, Oink. boing, yeah. yeah, sort of music. Um, yeah. It's funny looking back at it because it's like, well, you know, I hadn't, you know, this is the first time I'd seen this watching it. And I mean, when you compare it to like Little Norse Prince, which came 10 years later, which is a much more cinematic film, um, mm. you know, it's less... It's a family film, but it's, you know, it's not, you know, it's taking away all that music as a narrative. It's a far more straightforward fantasy adventure film. Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. And it's, it doesn't use all the music and the, um, you know, and it's not rotoscoped and everything as well. So it becomes, it feels much more like anime 10 years mm. later than this does. You know, this isn't quite as recognisable. But, um, you know, there's, it's got quite a few dramatic moments, you know, normally involve Hokai, the wizard sort of um scaring trying to chase someone away or save Zhu Shang. Um and I think the bit where the scene where Zhu Shang goes up to the castle or the temple on the hilltop when Bai Yang is um she's you know she's stuck as a serpent and she doesn't want Zhu Shang to see yeah, him to and see. makes yeah. him go off the uh edge of the cliff mm. and falls to his death so that way he never gets to see her as a serpent, you know, I think that that I think is quite a good scene because that death scene's quite graphic yeah, quite for poignant. a yeah, it's quite graphic and quite poignant for a children's film. Yeah, you'd never see that in Disney. No, I, you know, he'd fall hit branches on the way down and then just lay unconscious <laughs> in a in a in a rose bush. Um, yeah, you know, because Snow White had the scene where um, Snow White eats the um, poisoned, poisoned apple, apple and stuff, didn't yeah. she? But it's not quite as graphic as. That's it. No, she just, if I recall, she just daintily faints, and then that's, um... Yeah. The rest, the rest is left to the dwarves and the hero. Yeah, you don't see someone luring someone else <laughs> off a cliff face to fall yeah. to his death. It yeah, is. I like it. It's just that it's completely... <laughs> just, yeah, the rest, in Snow White, the rest is left to the dwarves and the, the hero, the knight in shining armour, and then this one, uh... <laughs> some guy backwards pummels himself down a mountain breaking pretty <laughs> every bone in his body laying there absolutely obliterated god bless him and then <laughs> and then the, 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 the animals are like right well we've got this lily so we're grand because <laughs> the other scene I quite like is the festival bit or around there because you've got Zhu Shang who's been sort of exiled from the town by Hokai to get him away from uh, Bai Yang. And he's now in this, you know, he's, his clothes are torn and he's sort of working as a labourer and he's being bullied and they're not paying him as much and, and all the rest of it. So he's he's living this really sort of desolate, sort of sad existence. Mm, um, mm. And around him you have this festival going on and you have this contrast of the excitement and the, the sort of high spirit of the festival and then his sad lonely life you know and i think that's i think that scene's quite good because the animation in the festival scene is excellent um yeah it's yeah. really really i mean the rest of the film is is i think what you would say decent even for 1958 i think it's you know it is good but the the festival animation is fantastic it's it's full of detail and movement and fluidity and you know there's lots of cells in the background moving about as well so yeah there's there's no doubt like there's a lot of um a lot of effort put into those into those scenes i like um 
I really I I didn't get the opening scene. I understood it. It was this, the setup and the song and everything else. Um, and I guess a nod to the theater. Yeah. Uh, uh, in that sense, because uh, it was just like a lot of still images. Yeah. Um, but I think like I, going into it, I was really sort of thrown off guard by the whole first, I guess, 10, 15 minutes. But like, so I wasn't really enjoying the pace or the, I wasn't really invested until maybe about, 45 50 minutes in yeah and like when i started seeing the beauty of the animation the, the knowing you know yeah. tying that into where it stands in in anime history and inspiring some of the some of the best work that's come out of the industry you know to date yeah it wasn't really until then that i was like okay yeah no fair enough uh i probably didn't go into it with the right head in <laughs> retrospect yeah i think it's i think you make a good point there lewis because i think you know you do have to being a fan you know of modern anime and modern animation techniques and what modern anime looks like and the content and everything that's in you know current anime and then comparing it to this you know mm. 60 years ago it does look very very odd and it's hard to it's almost hard to believe that current anime came from this from this point yeah. almost you know because i think if you look at disney disney i think you know, from Snow White, which was I think nineteen late thirties, thirty seven, something like that. I can't remember. Thirty eight. It's it's quite. Is it really that early? Yeah, it's quite old. It's pre war Snow White. I'm absolutely sure of it. Yeah, I'm sure it was sure. made in the thirties. That's why I always think it's quite outstanding when you realise just how old that film is. Oh um, my god, thirty eight. It is thirty eight. Yeah. Oh. You know, when you look yeah, at it, but yeah. Disney, I think has stayed yes i mean you you look at what happened you know the stuff with pixar but you know if you look at disney's output i.e the frozens and tangles of this world it's very much you know you can still see that sort of lineage back to snow white mm, you know mm. i think they're still very something but the, you know the lineage from even a modern anime, I mean, even something like Mirai, I think, or something like that, in style and context, I still think you can kind of see it, but I don't think it's quite as... I don't know, to me, it doesn't feel quite as clear. I think when you get to Little Norse Prince, ten years later, then absolutely you can see yeah. where... In, in those 50 years, you can absolutely see where today's films have come from like mm. that point. Um, but yeah, the bit before... Well, the very beginning bit, I, I think when we talk about the next film, I think we'll talk about something, you know, we'll, we'll see that evolution a little bit. But, you know, this, from a historical point of view, it's quite interesting. You know, nearly 14,000 people made, worked on Hacker Jardin, um, which is an enormous working crew to actually complete on it. And basically it kind of kick-started the animation industry because a lot of animators who came later on saw this film or worked on this film and then were kick-started. Rintaro, who um, directed The Dagger of Kamui, which we um, yeah, reviewed yeah, not yeah. long ago, you know, he was um in-between animator on this film. Um, this was the film that convinced Hayao Miyazaki to become an animator. And after watching this film, yeah. joined Toei. Miyazaki's wife was an animator on this film um, mm. and later, you know, married him. So... You know, it kick-started and it allowed Toei to pick and choose the best animators who were coming yeah. out. So, you know, so it was a yeah. big it was a big thing in that respect as well. You know, that's where 
a lot of these people with big names, you know, through the 70s, 80s, 90s, most of them started here. Characterization-wise, um, I think, because interestingly, only two people. There is a man who does all the male voices and a woman who does all the female voices. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, for me, that was one of the more jarring things because I couldn't... I, uh, the boy the boy character is just gentle, but there's no charisma in him at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, uh, that, but, like, I don't expect... It's not like I'm going into it expecting some, you know, no. triple A tier voice <laughs> acting that we'd uh, expect today. Like, I, you know, it's it's like a this is like a labor of love. This project. Yeah. Um, and you've got one guy who just like went into a booth and started going oh, ah yeah, uh, for for the main character. Um, and it's like really hard not to hate him. Well, think, because just just for his tone of voice and his actions. Yeah, and the like, problem is, is that it's like you say, it's a sort of average performance. Yeah, uh, and then it's just repeated for all the other male characters. Mm. It's you know, there's not very much separation because it sounds like the same bloke putting on a soft accent to trying to put on a gruff accent for like the guards who capture them. Yeah, you know when they yeah, steal yeah. the the jewels and whatever. So, and it's the same with the girl. They've they've all got the same kind of squeaky, not squeaky, but you know it's yeah, um, it's just it's just um lazy inflection yeah you know, it's uh it's, it's people who aren't trained voice actors doing you know a, a plentiful array of characters yeah. and like you know it's just i don't expect greatness but i think i think i expect gravity to certain lines and deliverance on certain things because really the only person i actually felt was a decent character was um uh, the oh uh, exerciser what's his um hokai Hokai. The only yeah. one I actually felt had a, a decent like mm. a gravity to his voice was Hokai. Yeah. Um, that's probably because it was closest to who the actor's regular voice. Voice was yeah yeah yeah. Um, you're right. The the main character the, the voice that was chosen for the main character I, I understand it's like the voice of a he wants to get the voice of a innocent young boy across. Mm. But it just felt weak, feeble, and <laughs> uh, and hapless. Yeah. So like anything that happened to him, I was like, of course it's going to happen to you. You sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> One point I want to go back to a, a point you made earlier, Lewis, um, when you were talking about the beginning bit. Um, mm. In the American release, that opening sequence, those first five minutes, mm. um, was actually cut. So yeah, it actually, see. but it doesn't provide any context to the boy losing his snake. Snake. So, no. Yeah. So I think it would have made a bit of an odd. Yeah, made a bit a bit of an odd editorial choice. Mm. On the thought to it, I think it's because it's like uh, at the time there probably was still a lot of a lot of prejudice against yeah. against the, the Jap- Japanese, um, and any like Oriental singing or uh, that. I mean, this is me just spitballing. Like yeah. this is me just this is me really loving a a ball into the park here and someone catching it going, actually, you're really wrong. But I'm just like, yeah, maybe I'll just ballpark an idea right now. Just call me out on it. Um, I'm, I'm saying four into a crowd. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess like, because it's just, it's just like, I, I feel like now if I look back at it, it's a raw nod to its theatrical production. Yeah. But it is very like oriental singing. Yeah. It was like, uh, at first I was like, what? Uh, mm, uh, okay. I get it. It's, it's setting up the story to me, but is it, going to be like this for the rest of the movie and i think for western audiences retention is a big thing anyway yeah um 
because there's like you need something to draw you into the story. Mm. Um, and for a long time, Disney thought that was music. Yeah. Uh, so it's understandable, like a, the musical approach, but it's it, it's a lot more visual for Disney, and it's a lot more characterized uh, expressions on animals' faces and things like you know things that you'd find in a fantasy world like Snow White. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't feel it really delivered anything like that on the intro. Yeah. So I, can, I, I get why it was cut. I'd like to spitball an idea, but I don't know enough to call it out. <laughs> it's interesting some of the things you say there, because one of the reasons they made, they used a Chinese uh, folk story uh, for their first film um, was to try and promote Japanese animation in China and the rest of Asia. Because after the Second World War, obviously Japan was, you know... Um, with some of what happened during the war and pre-war, uh, they yeah. were on the back foot a bit, so they were trying to build bridges, because there's a lot of, again, if you read Jonathan Clement's book, there's a lot of stuff in there about how they tried to get finance in Hong Kong and in China, and it all fell through, and he ended up doing it completely on their own. Um, so yeah. it was definitely um, used to try and make inroads to rebuild Japanese credibility, you know, yeah. olive branches or whatever with especially with China um, so I think it, there's bits in this as you say that I think you can see what they were trying to do with that so the film ultimately has a very happy ever after ending Zhu Zhang and Bai Yang go off happily ever after lovers again and, uh, and the film ends quite interestingly as well looking across various review sites uh, across the net it typically gets somewhere between 6 and 7 on average. You know, 6.2, 6.6, which I think is probably about right. I mean, I would give this a 6 out of 10. Personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. For flow and... You know, I think it's... I mean, it's an alright story. I agree with what you say about the middle. I think it's... Uh, I don't know. A little bit disjointed. Loses its way a bit through the middle of the story. You know, I think you get the opening, you know, the boy has a snake, he loses it, the snake comes back, they meet, then they're separated, and then it kind of loses its way, and then I think you get this really good ending. Yeah, after, uh, after the inciting incident that, like, sort of separates the two uh, newfound lovers and yeah. creates, the, creates the low point for the, the protagonist, I guess you could say, yeah. is, um, if you can call him that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's where it sort of just loses all... You'd normally have something that sort of initializes hope and everything else, but you just yeah. see him just basically getting the crap beaten out of him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like, well, there's, there's no way but down from here, pal. Um, and that just stretches on for maybe five, ten minutes too long. Yeah. But the, um, yeah, that's where, you, yeah, you're right. That's where it does lose a bit of its. Because it, uh, like you say, it makes 80 minutes feel a bit flabby, and it's only, yeah. eight, and it's only 80 minutes. Mm, mm-hmm. But it, 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 you know, it feels a bit flabby in there. And I think. You know, I'm glad I've seen it yeah. because it's, you know, it's very, very important historically. Yeah. Um, you know, we wouldn't be watching the stuff we watch today if it if it weren't really for this film in mm. many ways. But I don't think it has a lot of rewatch value. You know, I don't. Ooh, I've seen it. I've seen. Time. I've seen it now. It's done. You know, I don't. I yeah. don't really feel a lot of need to go back. So. Yeah. No, it's definitely a one and done thing because you really don't get. You you wouldn't get anything yeah. out of the story watching it again because there's nothing that hits you on your seat. It's just yeah. uh, taken through uh, Snow White and the and the Seven Pandas. 
<laughs> you know, you just—it's not even that. It's, it is just a—it is just a story. Yeah. Uh, like it's like sat down. Your granddad tells you an, an old wives' tale, and then yeah, that's it. That's that's done. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. So I mean, what would you give it out of ten? Uh, probably a five out of ten, but for significance and uh, appreciation, yeah. I'd say six. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that sort of thing. Is it? it's not terrible. It's I mean, not bad. No, it's, it's better not... than some of the anime we've watched. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And watched, we have watched it. a lot worse than this. <laughs> we have definitely. seen some garbage. So but, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so I mean, I I would say if you're interested in anime and you're interested in the history of anime, then at least once you should uh, should definitely check it out. Right, so our second review today is Anjo to Zuzio Maru, uh, also known as the Orphan Brother, or in the US was called The Littlest Warrior. So this is a 1961 film, again directed by Taiji Yabushita, and also and it was co-directed with Yugo Serikawa. Iso Tagahata um, worked as an assistant director on this film, and of course directed by Toei Daiga. So this was Toei's fourth film after 1959's Shonen Sarutobi Sasuke, uh, which was known in the West as either Magic Boy or The Adventures of Little Samurai, and their third film, which was 1960's Sayuki, also known as The Enchanted Monkey or Alakazam the Great. Both of those films as well were also directed by Taiji Yabushita with a co-director, so he'd been involved in... Um, all of um, Toei's earliest work. So this is an adaptation of a 1957 live-action film by Kenji Mizuguchi, and yeah, it had a theatrical release in the 60s in the US, where it had uh, 12 minutes cut. Um, it is available officially in the US as The Littlest Warrior, um, and there was fan subs available. So a synopsis taken from Anime News Network again. So an officer is falsely accused of setting on fire a forest he was supposed to protect. While he is under trial in Kyoto, his family receives an order to leave their mansion and surrender to the new owner of the land. The family flees, but they end up being tricked and separated by bandits. Sold as slaves, the two children start living a bitter new reality, where they must struggle to survive doing harsh physical labour. Anju and her younger brother Zushio try to protect each other as they wonder if they will ever see their parents again. So here we are, moved into the 60s, so... Toei have got a few films under their belt now and we get to Anjo Tozuchio Maru so what do you think? I really really like this one hmm. I, did I too. really like this one yeah it was a nice little um, I read it online that's an adaptation of uh, what is Sancho and the Bailiff that's right yeah yeah because um, I, I actually was so intrigued by it uh that I, I went in ahead and sort of just tried to find where the inspiration was from because it's a very raw, visceral tale. It's not got mm. uh, 
is is it starts off like uh very jolly, very uh Disney again. Yeah. Um uh but still like very traditional Japanese uh, yes, and you can you can get the feel of the era that they're in. Yeah, um, because everything's based. It's, it's all established really well from the get go. Yeah, it's like okay, so he's got a good relationship with animals. So does the sister. There's a good family dynamic. Uh, they res- the family is a respectable yeah. uh, family with land. Uh, the, the father is a consult to the the shogun. Yeah. Um, and you know, okay, so you, you immediately go, okay, this is this family. This is their standing in this era of, of, of Japan. Um, and then you've, you're immediately faced with, you know, the, one of the antagonists, that, which, which really just like, he's not even the main one in the end. No, it just no, sparks just... a series of unfortunate events for this, yeah. this family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ribbing yeah. them from, from their, basically their name, their family name and, and yeah. shaming the entire family name, which is huge. Yeah. Uh, and I actually love the way it played out. Really yeah, did. I, I thought I thought the pacing for the for the era of the film, like the the pacing, is actually better than most modern day anime. Yeah, I, I agree because I mean, it, overall, it's quite a bleak story. Mm. Um, it's you know a real roller coaster of emotions, and it doesn't have a happily ever after ending. No, um, you know, and as you say, it sets off with this nice traditional establishing scene and do you know she's singing for her mother she goes to see you know the, the the kids run off to their father in the woods you know as you say the animals are you know she's singing and they're they all sort of conjugate and you know come together you know and, and meet in the woods and as you say in a very very disney-esque way and then very quickly you get this antagonist who then through jealousy and nothing more Mm. Um, completely stitches them up and rips the whole family apart. Yeah, uses his uh, his standing in uh, to to set up everything else for this for this family. Um, I actually really thought it balances well. Like it's got some good source material to draw from naturally. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it really like uh, really poignant story beats, as it were, because yeah. you never you're always left wondering, oh, what now? Yeah. Rather than rather than oh what now? You know? <laughs> yeah. Because I watched this when I watched this, I really enjoyed it, and I always watch the anime we review twice just so I I you know I can really sort of register it um, before we review it. Um, and after I watched Hacker Jordan, I was like watching it again was a little bit of a chore. But this one, after I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, I'm really ready to watch this again. You know, I really yeah, exactly, yeah. I was really keen to see it again. Yeah, a great story, and. You know, it goes from one tragedy to the next, and yeah, and in between those, there's these sort of lighter moments and and moments of tenderness in between it, and I and I love the way it it kind of flip flops between, you know, a, a real scene of real tragedy, you know, yeah, um, and, pa- and compassion, and, and compassion, you know, some examples of in it, um, the way it sort of flows back and forth, so. You get Anjo Zuzio in the woods with Saburu. Um, you know, they've kind of escaped. I mean, this is after they've been enslaved and they're in this hard labour. Mm. Um, and then Saburu, who's the um, the son of the Sancho, who's the, the bailiff. Um, and his older brother, Jiro, sort of, you know, he reports back on them. And, you know, Anju gets her hair cut. And then they get punished for it. You know, they get put into some really hard work. Um, and then Anjo and Zuzio, you know, the part when Zuzio escapes and the, you know, their parting scene, you know, is really, yeah, it's like, 
it's heartfelt. It's really heartfelt, and the shot of Andrew on the ma- on the hill is some a bit looking from behind, and it's this sort of wide because this film was shot in widescreen. You know, this sort of framing shot of of Andrew having said goodbye to her brother. You know, probably knowing whether she'll ever see him again or not. Um, you know, yeah. and another another family members displaced, and now she's on. You know, all the way that sort of ten minutes of the film, yeah. even in that 10-15 minutes, flows back and forth. Um, it's just fantastic. It's just really, yeah. really good. You get a sense, a real sense of the time that they spend there, and even though it's yeah. like done in, in you know, pure five to, uh, five minutes slot, you get a sense that they've been there for months, nigh on a year. Yeah. Um, like, because this relationship has developed between Andrew and, um, and the, the yeah. uh, Lord's son. Uh, the only nice one who's who wants to sort of rescue these yeah uh, them to the situation yeah, yeah the situation um, selfishly enough anyway because he's he's more concerned with his his like, you know love endeavor on that ref- yeah. on that front and you can tell that Angie sort of sees that yeah um, you know, which is why she's like she ushers him to run and but it's it's a moment when she's overcome so greatly with despair um, yeah and like stood in front of the river. Like realizing that she's got nowhere else to in front it's in front of the lake, realizing she's got nowhere else to go, and she's so overwhelmed with despair that she chooses to end her own life. Yeah, she gives up on this horrible world and becomes yeah, a swan. She, you know, yeah. It's... She she revokes like her mortal self and becomes basically a spirit guide for her brother. Yeah. And that's like that's really deep. <laughs> yeah, know? it is. It's really yeah, profound and deep. Absolutely. Yeah, she was moments moments before that about to get you know sexually assaulted by. The yeah. other son, uh, the Lord, and Jiro, she, yeah, yeah, and at this point she's quite rightly forgotten all good, yeah, in the world, and she's lost everything, yeah, has, has lost everything, and yeah, revokes life, yeah, and she um, and she goes off, you know, and then yeah. Saburu sees her shoes at the edge, and she's not yeah. there anymore, and assumes that she's committed suicide, yeah, and he goes into mourning and creates this shrine to her. You know, yeah. um, and wears the 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 mourning robes um, and everything. So, it, yeah, as you say, it's massively profound. Yeah, it's um, a very visceral story that goes from beat yeah. to beat very very well. And you think like it can't get worse and everything else. This is <laughs> it's basically the whole son's redemption of the family name. Yeah, that's sort of like and that's that's the that's the payoff already. Yeah, um, when he redeems the family name and goes off to you know set the things right. And he can't set everything right. No, because it's just a it's a real world tale. So obviously, like I'm, I'll praise the source material because it's a very well constructed story. Yeah. Uh, because but it's just it, there's no there's no hero moment. It's just no no. This is what's left of us. Yeah. Yeah. I've redeemed the family name. When he goes and finds his mother. Yeah. Who again, like oh, she's blind. Yeah. <laughs> like ah. Oh. Crap. Well, that's what I mean. I, you know, that's where it's got this bittersweet ending. Zushio ultimately. Finds his mother. Um, what? Nigh on 15, 20 years later. Later, who's blind, and then you know they see Andrew flying as a swan, and and the blind mother can see the white bird and says, well, you know maybe she wants to stay like that. Maybe she doesn't want this, doesn't want to be part of this horrible world. So maybe she's made the right choice, you know. And it's yeah. just this, you know, you still got Sabru in his mourning robes and everything. It's just a really, it's not a happy ending. No, you know, it's a bittersweet. He's he's reunited, but the family is still broken up. Yeah. You know, it, it, their father um, Iwaki, you know, died in prison. 
you yeah. know, he, he was charged, he went to prison falsely, yeah. you know, and all, Wrongfully you know. accused. And like, and the, the man who now occupies their family home still occupies that it's home. their family home, you know. Yeah. So. And there's like, there's nothing, there's no wrong righted apart from the family name. Yeah. And that's, that's the only thing they hold on to. There's some real clever bits in it as well, you know, like the bit at the beginning where, um, well, so Waki, who's, uh, Anjo and Zuzio's father, or the the lord of the land, Onikura, you know he's, he's the one who sets fire to the forest and blames it on Iwaki. Mm. Um, the bit you know where he comes along because he wants to marry Anju. Yeah. Iwaki say no, she's just a girl, and um, he makes this really sort of veiled threat to Iwaki, and you can just see, and even as that's animated, and even the tone of the voice, even in the Japanese actors, you know you can see that. There's that menace from him, you know. He's there's this yeah. threat to him, and and Iwaki can see that. And the way it's all animated, that's you know, it's just little bits like that all the way through it that are really good. Because you know, the other thing with Andrew and Saburu, um, you know, there's this kind of forbidden love because she's a slave girl and he's the son of the bailiff. Yeah. So there's this sort of love story, you know. And there's little bits where you know, um, Saburu puts the flower in Andrew's hair. And when they're holding hands through the jail bar a bit later on, you know, there's there's lovely moments like that. The music's perfect, you know, the way it's animated. Yeah. You know, the animation is beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's yeah. really really clever like that. Um, yeah, it really sets a bar. Um, yeah. And it's complete it, it, as a complete product, like all things considered, the voice acting, the the animation, the musical score, it all ties together very very well to complete one very enjoyable end product yeah there's bits in it that you know i'd even say there's bits in it that are quite distressing the the bits where they actually get separated on the boats and kidnapped yeah yeah and um and and zuccio's treatment at the hands of the bailiff and their slave you know the taskmaster you know some of that is you know is really really quite distressing i mean it's not a light again a toei family film it's you know it's not because there's a couple of there's a little bit of missteps in it. I think the the giant spider thing I think is a bit random, if I'm honest. Yeah, uh, I think that, but I think there's a lot of like symbolism. Yeah. And like that sort of because obviously the swans there, um, the mermaid, you know, yeah. it's, it's all a bit fantasy. Yeah. Thing, but I, I like I'm sure there's ties to sort of Japanese symbolism in that sense. Yeah, because it's this thing that's menacing the emperor. Yeah, uh, you know, it's this, and I think it could have been anything, but it yeah. materialized as a spider because the way it dis- once Zushio defeats it and sends it flying, it just disappears. Yeah, back. back you know, yeah. I know there's animals. You know, I know like Andrew turns into the swan and Kikinu turns into the mermaid and stuff, mm-hmm. but this giant spider just feels. It does feel misplaced. A little bit. I'm, misplaced. I'm sure there has to be. Um, reason for yeah. it to be a spider though the thing is there are good bits about that i think it's yeah. actually quite a scary scene the way it comes out of the cloud there's a real malevolence to it to the spider and yeah. you know the sort of tone of that scene but the, yeah it just feels a little bit um misplaced and the other bit as well when um Sushio first meets princess aya and then meets the shogun and Mm. you know mm. and sort of gets on the path of family redemption but the stranger you know effectively meets princess aya and he's he's going for a sexual assault 
you know that's that's yeah. he, that's his intention and then as mm. the animals fight him you know the dog and panda and everything fight him it's um and then you that you have that same sort of looney tunes type of music and that again and it's very comedic the fighting yeah but the the intent yeah, of the yeah, attacker yeah, is a lot darker is a lot darker and that yeah. that i find it's a, a little bit weird um i think it's a, a bit odd in what it's trying to tell you and what message it's trying to say um mm. it's one of those things where you end up not quite sure how how you're meant to feel about a scene like that so i think that ultimately out of the you know essentially a, a very good film um i think they are those two bits are the only two missteps but i think they're very minor yeah missteps yeah. in it i you know i don't think they really detract from the film at all mm-hmm. um but you know they're the things that don't make it perfect given yeah. how good the rest of it is because as you said the pacing i think is excellent um yeah. it just flows along just steps along all these scenes and say flip flopping from you know something good to something bad you know there's a genuine love there's genuine emotion there's genuine terror um there's genuine distress in it yeah know, and i think that it's, it's it's a hapless tale of yeah yeah of, of just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy and a few rebirths into animals and then yeah. a sudden random spider because there's lots but, of um, yeah. <laughs> you know there's lots of tales of revenge in this you know mm. when um kikunu you know after the kidnappers pushed her into the sea you know she stands up against him and he just pushes and she drowns yeah she becomes drowns a, becomes a rebirth into a mermaid, mermaid and, uh, but then creates a whirlpool and drowns all the kidnappers yeah. you know there's there's lots of things of revenge because when Soberu, he's obviously the um the weaker of the two brothers and he's obviously you know he's in jiro's shadow um mm. but at the end you know he fights jiro and, and rescues Andrew. you know he, him fighting and getting the upper hand of jiro allows Andrew to escape mm. you know, there's lots of there's redemption and revenge all the way through um, yeah this film there's like uh just desserts uh in yeah. the form of i guess uh uh, it, I, would you call? You wouldn't call it karma. No. I mean, you could, but it would be like it would be sort of belittling the the point of the symbolism, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, from a production point of view, I think, on the whole, there's some really interesting bits of animation in here. There's a bit sort of two thirds of the way. I think it's where Zusho is in Kyoto, and there's all these panning shots of Kyoto in cherry blossom season. Yeah. Um, just really, really beautiful sort of background panning shots. And there's the bit where um, Zushio's told his father's dead. And it very cleverly, and I think this is really, really interesting for 1961 sort of animation techniques, but it zooms in and multiple cells change yeah. perspective at the same time as it yeah. zooms in. Funny, uh, now you say that, yeah, I didn't even draw on that. It was just a... It's really impressive. It's really, really clever animation, um, mm. how they did that. I mean, it's a very, it's a little bit jerky, but it's very, very clever. Um, yeah. And there's another bit as well where when Zushio goes back to the bailiff and the um, slave master, uh, Gonrico, um, ambushes him. There's a bit where all the arrows are flying at him at a point of view. Yes. Thing, You know, it's like really That's... clever shots in it. Mm. The thankless task of... Uh... Of excellent animation, so yeah. good that you don't notice it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 
you know, there's lots of things. I mean, there's lots of bits in here where you can see cells where they've not sat quite down on the board. You can see the odd yeah. flicker of the layer and stuff, which is quite interesting. It it really shows that it this thing was, you know, very tactile production. Mm. You know, animation was a thing. You know, it's not all done on a computer. Yeah, it is a labour of love. This is a very good labour of know, love. I, but those other bits, there's some very very clever uses of animation and animation techniques in it. And there's a bit um. Um, another zoom where and Saburu meets Anju and Zusho in the woods, I think for the first time. And there's a there's a zoom in on and it's again it's just just has this very very cinematic feel. And again, where you compare this to Hacker Jardin, which was very a very straightforward made animation. You know, it didn't really have yeah. very many clever animation techniques. It was just a straightforward. You know, as we said, it, it was some, it was a leap in the right direction. It was yeah, just, uh, definitely you know. yeah. It, took, it 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 le- leapt and took two steps, you know, planted his feet firmly into the ground and didn't, ri- you know, didn't try and move from that. But um, yeah, this one does take strides. Yeah, I mean, and it's, there's some really other interesting stylistic choices as well because all the bad people are really ugly character designs, and all the good people yeah. are quite nice looking. So you, you yeah, you very soft clearly, features. Yeah. yeah, so you clearly know who's good and who's bad in this film. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, and that's quite interesting. Better. Um, there are other similarities to Haggard and I think some of the tone you know there's a thing about forbidden love you know there was the forbidden love between Zhuzhan and the serpent mm-hmm. here you have the forbidden love between you know the son of the bailiff and the slave girl um, you know and people are, are forced into a difficult and, and often violent life you know Zhuzhan yeah. was exiled and he was bullied by the other labourers and picked on and stuff, and here you have, you know, somewhat out of jealousy, they're forced, they're displaced, they're kidnapped, they're forced into slavery, and they have this life of, you know, you know, exposed to all this violence. So there's there's similarities there, but as you say, it's a step in the right direction. And interestingly, in Jonathan Clement's book, he says um, after this, I think, so Toei had a lot of. Um, in-house animators they had a they had a salaried animation production staff and then after this they started to use a lot of um, sort of freelance animators and in like I think he said like from 62 onwards you saw a drop in quality from from Toei so you know and I think it'd be interesting I haven't seen many films well to be honest I haven't really seen any films from here up to Little Norse Prince or um, Flying Phantom Ship that late 60s stuff I've yeah. seen quite a bit of that, but I haven't really like seen... delving into the sci-fi and going mad. With yeah, you see, in the mid-60s, you did start to get the sci-fi um, yeah. in, in Toei's animation. And experiment um, with light and everything else, and yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I think this is, you know, very, you know, this is a, an interesting point, because you can see really steady progression, and so I think tonally and everything, I think you can start to see a little bit more of where anime has got to in it um, yeah it's definitely it's definitely a clear progression and i think you can see from here to uh little norse prince um you know i think that you're much on the start of that true path to um, yeah. what we really know as anime now well, actually before I, I get onto the scores and that um reading up on this it was unliked by toei's production staff um because of its endorsement of a submissive ruler knows best message, mm. um, and yeah, I can kind of get that because it is quite. It's like all the people in power 
uh, sort of crap on all the good folk of the world, um, and yeah, they kind yeah. of get away with it, you know. So uh, it's uh, I, I, I can kind of understand that. Uh, but again, like um, Hacker Jarden, it uh, typically gets somewhere between six and seven in a rating. And a lot of people don't like this. I read a lot of um, sort of comments on forums and stuff of people that didn't like this and said. You know, it was they. It was the worst of Toei's sort of first five or six films, um, especially of the first four. I mean, I've never seen um, Sayuki and um, the Sasuke film, um, but I really like this. You know, yeah, I, I like this as well. Um, and I would, I've watched it twice, and I would happily go and back and watch this again in the future. You know, I for me, this has a lot of. Uh, I think this is quite a mature film. Yeah, it is. It's like, you can tell, like, the combat, as you said earlier, and the sort of things that are sort of um, trivialised um, and masked as yeah. masked from their true sort of, you know, darker meaning of assassination and, uh, and uh, sex crimes. The, uh, <laughs> the, I feel like it is sort of, like, lowered on the brow for, for children yeah. to watch. Yeah, um, with the uh, with the easily identifi- uh, identifiable faces for characters being you know bad and characters which are yeah. good, you know, it's got all the hallmarks of like this is a kids film. Yeah, talking but animals with, and all the yeah rest talking of it. animals, everything that's got like um, yeah, it's it, it's it's all there that speaks to kids, but with yeah. a really dark start yeah. story. Um, but yeah, no, I liked I liked the rendition. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I give this I've given this an eight. Um, you know, I think it is very good. I think, you know, there are a few missteps, I think, to stop it being really good. Mm. Um, I mean, what about you? Uh, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So I think it's that. I, I, would, I would happily go back and watch this again. Yeah, I'd um, watch it again. I definitely recommend this film. I think this is a really... I think even, even if you ignore it as an anime film, in inverted commas, um, I just think it's a really good animated film. Yeah. In general, um, I think it kind of ascends its, you know, Japanese or its its anime um, origins. Um, yeah, I just yeah. think it's it holds itself in in regard. And yeah. That's, um, it's a standalone thing, something you could watch without its its history. So these sort of bedrock of Toei's animation, because in if you look at the trajectory of Toei, and I recommend everyone to go and check um, the Toei's. Uh, let me just look it up. It's called the um, Toei Ana- Animation List of Works website. It's, they have an English one. It's a bit basic, but you can see all of their works in chronological order. And, you know, their output. So there are two films in the 50s, one in 58 and 9. Then I think they had about 22, three productions, films and TV series in the 60s. There was like 64 in the 70s and then you had the boom of super robot anime through that mm. i think in the 90s it's like 90 something so you, you can see this massive expansion of output from toei from this point you know they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger so you know and, and toei you know absolutely massive now still putting out um, the zinga c film still knocking out dragon ball yeah and so, Still knocking out Dragon Ball, you know, and you know, I will say, um, I'm super impressed at how well Broly is doing at the uh, UK box office. Mm. Um, it was number five in the UK box office last week. 
Um, yeah. I'm, I'm massively impressed. No one's heard of it. No one knows what it is, but it's number five in the UK box office. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just such a, like, uh, Dragon Ball has always been a very approachable series. Yeah. For a Western audience. It's very understandable. Yeah. Bunch of really strong people fighting. <laughs> yeah. From these, you know, early early steps in in animation, there's still an absolute powerhouse of uh, Japanese animation, Toei. Mm. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah, not much more to say on that. But I would no. really, really recommend you go and check out Andrew Tozuzio Maru. Uh, I think it's mm. a, a really, really good film. Yeah. Just a quick note on the uh, whole Dragon Ball Z thing. It's just got such an incredibly strong Western audience. Yeah. Like an incredibly strong Western audience. So much, in fact, that uh, Adidas have uh, produced their own line of um, partnered merchandise. Oh, really? Uh, and they've yeah, released uh, th- character-themed shoes. <laughs> so, like, you know, you can get a pair of Goku uh, runners or a pair of Vegeta runners, but they've all, like, sort of adapted them and... Uh, Oh well, wow. I hadn't yeah, seen that. I'd basically, condense their out. character. Yeah, condense their character into a pair of shoes. Oh, um, so it's like the color themes, their like skin themes. It's actually very cool. They're like they're going for about. I'm not sure if there's many more in stock at all. Uh, but when I checked, they were going for about 250 a pair. Oh right. Um, What's that? Euros. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, it'd be similar for dollars, I'd say. The um, but yeah, I think once they go limited stock, there'll be even more. Yeah. But like, yeah. I, I do, I love that sort of stuff. I like, yeah. It's just, yeah, I do, I do enjoy it. Yeah. I nearly yeah. bought a pair of Evangelion trainers about five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's gas. I'd love to yeah. see what they looked like five years ago. <laughs> they were quite cool. Mm. Purple and green, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's stuff. Yeah, they were they were quite cool. I really did uh, quite like them. So. I like that. You got you got to have a pair of runners that tell a statement about you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So um, next time uh, we're going to return to our Gold Force retrospective. Uh, we're going to look at the second story arc trilogy with reviews of Ray Gal Force, Gal Force Earth Chapter, and Gal Force New Era. Where to find us? You can find us on Twitter at RetroAnime. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, Spotify, most uh, podcast hosting sites. Just search for RetroAnime Podcast. Check the website at RetroAnimePodcast.com. You can email me directly at Ian at RetroAnimePodcast.com. I'm a regular user of the Anime UK News Forums, where my username is Organ. Uh, you can also find my other podcast, Retro Mecha Podcast, at Retro Mecha and all the same podcast hosts. That brings us uh, to the end of this. Uh, a very interesting discussion, actually. It was, um, you know, I'd, I'd heard of these films really only through reading Jonathan Clement's book, um, and I would wholeheartedly recommend, if you're interested in the history as I said before, to go and read it. Um, so I've long wanted to sort of um, see them and, and see where all the stuff we take for granted today really came from. So um, I mm. think that was a very good, uh, interesting look back in time, 60 years ago. Yeah, yeah. little through the looking glass. Yeah. The, the origin of modern anime. <laughs> uh, yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Good discussion. So, uh, right. 
And don't forget, uh, if you, uh, if you're, you know, a true fan, you'd listen to the podcast on all places that it's available on simultaneously. <laughs> so that's what, over 20 different locations? Oh, there's at least a dozen, I think. At yeah. least a dozen. So, you know, if you can tweet a picture of you listening to a dozen versions of the podcast in sync, then I'll probably give you a pat on the back or something. Maybe a Snickers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all from me. Uh, and to rip off a well-known car show on that bombshell I'll say goodbye <laughs> bye Lewis oh, God, it times to service sponsors no we've ruined everything <laughs> see you next time see you soon bye bye everybody bye